Hello, and welcome to the Learning to Slay the Beast podcast, a resilience podcast where we talk about all the challenging things that we're working to overcome, like anxiety, health, and relationship issues. My name is Sarah. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Sarah. This week, we've got something really exciting. We are having our first repeat guest. So you may remember Karen McMahon from episode 105, where we talked about how to journey beyond divorce. It was a great episode where we covered what makes divorce so challenging. We talked about boundaries, which are so important to relationships, and then a bit of a focus on how to help our children cope with divorce. This week, we're lucky to have Karen McMahon back. She is a certified relationship and divorce coach and founder of Journey Beyond Divorce. Today, we're going to dive into healing after divorce, including talking about codependency and people pleasing, and then how to move beyond the divorce and the pain into healing. I hope you enjoy this episode with Karen McMahon. So welcome back, Karen, to the podcast. I'm happy to connect with you today. Hi, Sarah. Thanks for having me back. No problem. So for those who haven't listened yet to episode 105, where I've, you know, went into a lot of detail with you speaking about divorce, why don't you just by starting providing a little bit about your background and how you got into coaching on in relationships and divorce? Great. That's a great question. Thank you. Um, I I became a certified coach in 2010. And the reason I ended up on that path was because I found myself facing a very high conflict divorce uh, when my children were very young. And after a bunch of years of trying marriage counseling, I decided to file. It was one of those really lengthy three and a half year high conflict divorces. And it, it changed me. It rattled me to my core it was incredibly difficult, but it also was a catalyst for a tremendous amount of personal change. And so when I emerged um, and I was in my new home with my kids, kind of getting my footing as a single parent, what I knew was that what I had been doing for a career no longer fit. It fell very flat. I was, I was in sales. I was selling commercial printing Mm. and I started looking for meaning and purpose, uh, feeling that I had gone through such a transformational experience myself that I had to engage in something with more purpose. When I found coaching, coaching is all about helping people through transitions. Divorce is one of the most devastating and overwhelming transitions. So I felt like this fits me like a glove. I think I just found my purpose. I was also a child of divorce. So I've Mm. been through it twice as a child and as an adult. Yeah, that makes sense. And I can definitely see there's a lot um, to do in this space for sure. So I know, you know, to be different than our last conversation, you're my first repeat guest, so it's kind of exciting, but (laughs) um, we thought today we'd focus more on that healing after divorce, but for those who are maybe or haven't listened to episode 105, or are kind of just in the beginning of the process of divorce or contemplating it, can you remind us a little bit about what Journey Beyond Divorce can provide? Oh, sure. And thank you for asking. So Journey Beyond Divorce is a team of coaches uh, located across the continental US. We coach people across the world, the English speaking world. And 
and our desire is to help you navigate the both the practical and the emotional journey of divorce with greater ease. And it's emotionally overwhelming. So we provide a lot of skills and strategies and tactics for dealing with conflict and upset. And then we also live in the world of divorce so we can provide uh, resources, uh, recommendations, introductions to other professionals, and then we have online group programs and courses. So we try to have uh, uh, an offering for everyone, regardless of what kind of a divorce it is or what their financial situation is. Mm, that's great. Yeah, I guess it's definitely a time, especially um, when it happens that you just like immediately kind of need that help. And I know, I remember the last time you mentioned that your group does um, like calls that they can do when they're, when people are kind of right in the midst of divorce. Yes. In fact, we're launching uh, a high conflict divorce support group. It, it goes live on, it starts on April 6th. Thursday evenings, 8 p.m. And I could get you a link for that for your show notes if you want. It's uh, yeah, Journey it's Beyond. The, the, if anyone's interested, it's journeybeyonddivorce.com backslash HCDSG for High Conflict Divorce Support Group. Our support groups have been so well received. People, you know, they feel like um, unlike friends and family, the folks in the room really get them and what they're going through. It's safe. It's about them and not bashing their ex. And mm. uh, and they walk away feeling a, a sense of community, uh, melting away of that isolation and getting professional guidance and direction. So, um, so we've gotten a lot of amazing feedback about the groups. That sounds great. Super helpful for sure. So let's get into that healing piece. Um, and, and maybe this is something that even comes up or likely does throughout the relationship before divorce. Let's talk a little bit about codependency. So first, a little bit more on what it is and then how it can really be a magnet for disordered or defun dysfunctional relationships. Yeah, I think... Um... I think there's rarely a client we work with who's in what we would refer to as a high conflict divorce that doesn't have, that isn't on the codependent spectrum, I'll say. And oh, wow. so what is, what is codependence? Um, as a recovering codependent, uh, codependence is when we act in a way to, in many ways to control the other person. So I want love from you. So you ask me, um, you ask me if I want to do something. I don't really want to do it, but I'm going to smile and say yes, even though I'd rather say no because I want you to like me or I want to mend things with you. Or, mm -hmm. And so there's this tendency or I have something important planned, but you said to me it's really important that you get support with A, B, and C. And so I, I abandoned myself. I dropped my plans, not just on occasion, but all of the time to help my kids, to help my spouse. And, and so one could say, well, that sounds like love. So what's the difference between doing it from a healthy place and doing it from an unhealthy place? And, and that's really what I want to hone in on. And so codependency is when 
you're you're operating from a place of fear or obligation or yeah fear or obligation and so you're afraid of losing love or you're afraid of the argument or you're afraid of what's going to happen and so you do something or you say something or you are constantly giving and giving and giving not just out of the joy of your heart though it's more in the hopes of mending the relationship of getting more attention of finally getting your spouse to reciprocate and so codependence is an emotional energy of fear or obligation and it doesn't serve us and we generally can't control the other person no matter what we do and so codependent people end up feeling kind of like martyrs, like seriously, I've done all of this and I do all of these things and I'm always there and I always say, and when I ask my codependent clients, well, so if you've given, let's say 200%, like what are you getting in return? And the answer to that really speaks volume. So if someone's listening and they're like, yeah, I definitely do. I give 100%, I give 200%, but to be honest, I feel like my spouse gives like 15% or 25%. Like, so when it's completely imbalanced, what most codependents do is they give more. Mm. What most healthy people do is they pull back and go, Hey, what's going on here? This feels pretty imbalanced. This isn't working for me. A codependent person would never do that. They'd be too afraid. So they'll give more hoping to get a little more. Okay. Okay. That's really interesting. Okay. And I know this is something that I've struggled with codependency as well. And and it can even be in, you know, beyond your relationship romantically, right? Like it can be with parents, it can be, you know, with others, right? Oh, absolutely. In fact, I'm working with a client right now and codependency came up and, uh, and so she was in between relationships. She was talking about how it had come up. And I started poking around a little bit and she started explaining to me how she can't say no to anyone at work, how she's the boss, how she takes on more work, how she feels guilty. And she, and she didn't even realize it as we're having this conversation. She was like, Oh my God. Mm -hmm. And I was like, that's it. The writing's all over the wall. So let's just work there. Let's work on your codependence at work. And what's the fear And what would happen if you actually asked for what you wanted or required your staff to do as needs to be done? And like all of this discomfort and this wave of um, guilt and I can't do that and that would be bad came up. And that's where we get to the root of what happened in my life that I became codependent and what are those stories? What is that narrative that's kind of operating under the surface of the water that I don't even realize? What is that? And in her case, it was, you know, that her her staff might not like her mm. um, and that they might feel like she's putting too much on her. And when we turn the, 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 the tables and I said, well, what if someone you know, asked you to do that amount of work. And she was like, no, of course, you know, that makes so much sense. And so we were able to get to some of the fears and insecurities, which is what underlies all of our behavior um, that is codependent. Mm -hmm. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. And so if others like me are kind of recognizing themselves in this box of codependency or seeing what 
that as what they've been doing over time or thinking that way, how do we start to then attract healthier partners? Right. And I would actually say there's two other pieces. And so one thing I want to give as another example is um, a codependent person will always, like, let's say a parent. So if you're in a marriage, they will also protect the spouse. And so that spouse might um, just not be spending that much time with the kids. Or in my case, my dad was an alcoholic. I never knew my dad was an alcoholic because my mom was so good at masking and protecting my dad's behavior that we didn't know, Mm -hmm. Um, which of course causes other problems. Then you think mom's the bad guy, dad's the good guy, and that's completely upside down too. So that's another thing that you'll see in codependence is they'll be the buffer um, and kind of take the hit for the person who's who doesn't have to take responsibility for their behavior. And this really comes um, to the surface when we're dealing with personality disorders or alcoholism or addiction. Mm-hmm. Um, and so before we get to how do we get healthy, I think the question before that is, well, why do why are we so appealing to the 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 dysfunctional person? Mm. Um, and so I am not a big fan of labeling people. I'm not a psychiatrist. I know narcissist is like the big hot word. But let's say you're dealing with someone who um, either has a lot of trauma, um, who um, has mental health issues, might might be on the narcissistic spectrum, the borderline personality, the bipolar, the autism, like there's so much going on out there, right? Mm-hmm. Or they could be struggling with alcoholism or addiction. And so they're um, pathologically acting very disordered, like the personality disorders. And the reason that that we attract like magnets is because where these um, pathological givers and they're takers. Mm-hmm. And so, so we're perfect for them. It's like, Oh, you want to come and love me and give me 250%. That's awesome. I'll love bomb you in the beginning. I'll tell you how wonderful you are. And then as soon as we settle down, not that their behavior, Sarah is conscious either, but then you fall into this very unhealthy dance, dysfunctional dance of I'll do and do and do, and you'll benefit and take and take. And then you'll maybe turn around and tell me I'm bad. And then I'll do a little bit more and try a little bit harder. And that's the dance of the codependent. Mm, okay. Yes. That makes a lot of sense. And and so it's just almost that fit where one's giving and one's taking. And so is it, does the healing and the being able to become healthy come in recognizing it first? Absolutely. And, and I would answer that, que- the, that question the same way, no matter what the topic is. So my, my, my little 101 on doing personal work, whatever it is, but we're talking about codependence right now, is number one, awareness. We can't do anything until we're aware of it. And so becoming aware of your behavior is the first step. And and you don't actually have to change anything you're doing. Simply being aware that, wow, I really, I'm not even on my list. I really, I gave up that thing I was really excited about. And now I'm feeling angry, right? Or bitter. Um, I, I, 
abandon myself. That's a really good term to use. So, so mm-hmm. the first part is ex- awareness that I continue to abandon myself to other people. And then the second thing is acceptance, because if you're a codependent, you're probably also pretty good at beating yourself up. Mm-hmm. I find that codependence and self-condemnation tend to go hand in hand. Mm. And so the second step is acceptance. So if you're like, I am such a loser, what's wrong with me? I can't stand myself. I can't do anything right. Like all of the things that those of us who are codependent and self-condemning do, that's going to hurt you. That's going to make it harder. And so the first step to healing, so you have your awareness and then you work on self-love by working on acceptance. It's like, okay, this is where I am. This is what I do. And whether you're 20, 40 or 60, this is what I've been doing. And now I know better. And so starting today, I can notice, I can simply accept that this is where I am because there's no place for me to start getting healthy and heal except from where I am. This is the only place I can start. So if I can be kind and gentle and compassionate with myself, accept that I am where I am, that is brilliant. Now I've become aware and I've begun to work on my self-love by accepting myself without condemnation. That's brilliant. You're already on the path. And then the third piece is action. And the action would be baby steps. It might be noticing the next time you actually want to say no, but you're going to say yes. And saying no feels really uncomfortable. You might, an action step might be to say yes anyway, but really look at what was so uncomfortable about the no. A bolder action step would be to say no, see if the sky falls. It probably won't. And, Mm -hmm. um, and then you have that success under your belt. So so baby steps for people who are codependent is to really grow into self-love. And the first part of self-love is, who am I? What do I need? Sarah, I'll tell you, I've asked that question to clients. Such a simple question, not some sophisticated coaching question. What do you need? Stops them in their tracks. I can't tell you how many people have said to me who are in the codependent category who have said to me, I, I, I don't know. I, I actually don't even know when the last t- time somebody asked me that question was. Mm-hmm. So starting to pay attention to what do I need? What am I afraid of? How can I be kinder to myself? How can I get more in touch with myself? At the end of the day, If you're not in love with yourself, nobody's going to fall in love with you. If you abandon yourself, you're going to meet people who abandon you. If you commit to yourself, you will meet people who commit to you. Whatever you do and give to yourself is what the universe, the world, God, creation will give you. Mm, Okay, that's really interesting. So it comes with a lot of that self-work before you really do start to look outside. Yeah. Yeah, it's okay. it's all an inside job, which is what makes this work so um, powerful. And um, and for those of us who get to do it, such a blessing to come alongside people. And if I were working with you, Sarah, I don't know what you need. You do, and even if you didn't think you did, you do. And so we ask these questions. We encourage. We support. We really. Um, 
nudge toward action uh, because you can know everything. You could figure everything out. You could be in awareness. You could be in acceptance. And then you could be just too scared to act. So action's where it's at. So we nudge toward baby steps. That's how we like to refer to it. And that really is what helps people move into a healthier way of being and begin to attract, and not just romantic relationships, healthy girlfriends and guy friends, healthy bosses, just all around healthy individuals in your life. Yeah, that makes sense too. I didn't even think of the work aspect, but of course, yeah, we've we've got all of those relationships there as well. Um, so codependency is one big tricky one for sure. The other thing we hear a lot about is people pleasing. And so how does that play into divorce and divorce recovery and and then our relationships as a bigger whole? Right. Um, and they, they're definitely connected too. So mm. the people pleaser, um, we're, we're really, a, there. it's in some ways one could say it's so egocentric because the fear is um, that the fear is that everybody is um, looking at me, talking about me. So if they don't like me, so so what if I deal with divorce all the time? Um, I, I don't want anyone to know. Like, what if my soon-to-be ex says something to the neighbor? And, you you know, it's like, well, how close are you to the neighbor? Not at all. Just live four doors down. Why do you care? So a people pleaser is going to care what a stranger thinks. Mm, okay. And again, it's awareness thing, because when you start saying, okay, why do you care? Like there are billions of people on the face of the earth. They're not all going to like you. Mm -hmm. They're not all going to agree with you. Um, So people pleasers will really tie themselves into pretzels to try. Again, it's the same thing. You're trying to get acknowledgement. You're trying to get love. You're trying to get attention. But it's coming from the emotional energy of fear. It's coming from a very low, um, catabolic, like debilitating emotional energy. And when you come from an emotional energy of love, which might sound like forgiveness, compassion, peace, joy, all the shades of love, um, you're coming at it very differently. And so people who live in those higher emotional energy levels, they... Um, they're generally not people pleasers. It's 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 very rare because they've worked through that stuff. And so a people pleaser is someone who's um, much like the codependent. They're I kind of call them the triplet: self condemning, people pleasing, codependent. And I can say this because I am a recovering one in all three. Um, okay, <laughs> but they go hand in hand, and and the behaviors are all very intertwined. Mm. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. Like, can you be both? Because I could definitely see that for sure. I would say almost always. Okay. I do. I call them the the evil triplets. <laughs> <laughs> and when you're in an unhealthy relationship, I've been talking a lot um, on social media about toxic relationships. When you're in a toxic relationship, um, I don't think I've met somebody yet who doesn't fall into the codependent, um, people pleasing, 
and often self-condemning um, personality types. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that makes sense because it sort of creates that environment that that toxic relationship can continue in a way, it seems like. And and it can come, you know, if I could just, the first thing that I'd like to say at this point is, you know, if this is resonating with you as a listener, um, please don't beat yourself up. Uh, my saying, I have since learned it comes from Ireland, is we don't lick it off the grass, which means that it comes from someplace. And so I came from a household that had its own dysfunction. Dad was an alcoholic. Mom was more of a rageaholic. She was very young with three kids in diapers. And um, and so out of that dysfunction, it became really clear that if I wanted to be seen and heard, I had to do certain things. I had to be a good girl. And I would watch um, my parents' behavior too. And so what happens is we grow into these behaviors. It could be that uh, a codependent people-pleasing person could um, have lost a parent or had a parent who got significantly ill or had a mental illness. And so you become a, a grown-up very young. You start taking on responsibilities. You start taking care of your own parents. And it's the beginning of taking care of your spouse and taking care of your kids and taking care of your boss and taking care of the whole world. And it's born out of our family of origin. So I've heard of, uh, I've had clients who came from real wealth and the, the messaging was, you know, you can't show and you don't tell anyone and you have to be really careful about what you say and what you do. And so that client emerged as a codependent people pleaser, um, which which was a little surprising to me, but it came out of that. So out of families with mental illness, with addiction, with um, death, with um, a parent who's really struggling all can come codependence and people pleasing. And the reason I think it's important to take a look at where it came from, and that's where a little therapy comes in really handy to do that, that deeper work of the past is once you understand how you are, where you are, you can begin to move forward with such compassion for yourself. And that can really catapult you forward into healing. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. So kind of digging around to, to look at this. And I wonder if you can give us a bit of a sense that so if you are somebody that's codependent, and or a people pleaser, like, I would imagine divorce is going to be that much more difficult on you. Like, even once you've gotten to the point where you're, for some reason, the, the relationship is ending, if you're always wanting to please, or you're always wanting to protect that person, and now the breakup is happening. Do you find that, that, that it seems to be more challenging for those people? I think that's a great question. And I think it probably is true. Um, largely when, when you have um, individuals who are kind of up there on the codependent spectrum, they've also found themselves individuals that are up there on the disordered spectrum. And so therein lies uh, a high conflict divorce. And so it becomes difficult for a lot of reasons. Oftentimes you've lost yourself. And so your spouse is saying, 
you know, you're going to walk away penniless or you're never going to see the kids or uh, the money's mine, the house is mine, you're not going to get anything. And so here you've been this codependent trying to please and please and please. And now that whether they decided or you decided, now it's like game on and this battle begins and it's very very scary. It's, it can be very debilitating for the codependent and, and yet, and, and I hope people can hear me say this because this was my experience and just hundreds of clients since in that pain, in that overwhelm, in that paralysis is the gift of personal growth and change that will blow your socks off. And you, if you're willing to be bold enough and brave enough and hopefully partner with a coaching company like ours or a support group, um, it's a game changer. And when I emerged from my three and a half year divorce, I was so tickled with the human being I had become. I was, you would not have recognized me beforehand. And, um, and that's possible for all of us. And so when you use the pain to fuel the personal change, you'll also emerge with the best divorce settlement and probably the best possible co-parenting relationship you can have, whatever that looks like. Uh, but it's, yeah, it's key. Mm-hmm. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Um. So definitely lots, lots there to think about for sure. And, and yeah, as I said, like I, I've had my own challenges with codependency and people pleasing as well. It's not easy to overcome. Um, But in terms of divorce, how can we start to move beyond our pain or hurt and then into, you know, becoming that person that we'd like to be that's more compassionate and peaceful? What so many people think is that the the greatest part of their pain and struggle is outside of them. So it it must be my soon-to-be ex, my attorney, the court system, my financial situation, I'm losing my in-laws, all of the things. I mean, there's so many things that are understandably triggering and upending and upsetting. And so most of our clients like that's the problem. And at Journey Beyond Divorce, we suggest that all of those things are difficult and hard, but the greatest obstacle is what's happening between your ears mm. and the way that you're choosing to perceive things. And so, you know this, I mean, we've all had, I just had a, I just had an, a, a bit of an argument with my adult son yesterday and um, I was so hurt and and upset with him and then i found out that it was all my fault and that i was the problem and it was fascinating to me because i do this work all of the time and i thought wow i had a perspective and i was so married to that perspective i was so certain that that perspective was reality and so you're asking well how do you begin doing this work you slow it enough you slow it down enough to say how am I perceiving this person, this situation? And how true is that? What else might be true? So in my situation, 
I felt like my son didn't hear me. I felt like he dismissed me. I felt like with all that I do for him, he was very uncaring in this particular situation. And it turns out that he was deeply concerned. He didn't necessarily communicate it all to me, but he did certain things. And rather than me asking or inquiring, I made this assumption and it created an unnecessary conflict. Now we worked it out really quickly and it was fine. But for people who haven't done that work yet, a situation like that could turn into a blow up that could last days or even weeks. And so when you slow things down and say, well, how am I perceiving this? And we could take an example of two people who are getting divorced and the kids. And maybe there's an issue with pickup or drop off or how the child is being parented or what have you. The other parent is going to have a story about what's wrong with parent A, why they did what they did, how they did it to parent B. And all of that mm. could just be a fantasy. It could be completely untrue. But what does it do? I have a thought. Now I'm pissed off. Now mm -hmm. I am fueled, fired, and ready to go off and start tossing emotional grenades across the room. And I could be completely wrong. And so when you slow it down, you start asking, well, what else? And if you're willing to even engage with the other person and say, you know, to, to ask the kinds of questions, to try and get a sense of where they're coming from, uh, you can really minimize conflict and really grow in your own emotional development simply by becoming more aware of your internal narrative and challenging it before so often we speak without taking the time to think it through first. And so you slow it down, you think about it, and then instead of being highly reactive, you'll be much more responsive and it will minimize conflict and chaos. And you're going to feel better about yourself. You're going to feel more confident. Your self-love is going to go up. And so it becomes this kind of snowball effect once you get into it. Mm -hmm. Okay. That makes sense as well. Do you, I'm just curious, like when you mentioned about kind of more like leaning into it and having the conversations, do you ever end up coaching couples in terms of through the divorce or like I've heard re more recently of more couples that are divorcing, trying to even do couples therapy because they realize they're going to have to co-parent. Like you can't just necessarily walk away. Um, has that come up at all for you? So uh, the vast majority of coaching that we do is individuals going through divorce. There is um, a, a somewhat new kid on the block discernment counseling, which people might go to. I've certainly referred my clients out to co-parenting specialists so that they're not doing marriage counseling, but mm -hmm. they're, they're doing some coaching around communication so that they can be the best possible co-parents. You're typically not going to get your high conflict personalities Mm -hmm. to engage in that. But if you can, by all means, it's it's a great thing to do. I would say that by the time people, the vast majority of people decide to divorce, they're not sitting in a room together. Um, the high conflict ones aren't sitting in a room together trying to work that out. In the amicable divorce, I think a tremendous amount of people, there are so many co-parenting programs and groups and coaches out there to help individuals um, 
you know, do that well. And, and at the end of the day, and I love to just make this statement, um, divorce doesn't hurt children, conflict hurts children. So if you can have a low conflict divorce, or if you're in conflict under one roof, and you're going to have two peaceful houses after divorce, and you can keep it child centric, um, your children are going to be better and not worse off because they're going to, they're not going to see unhealthy, dysfunctional, romantic love, because then they'll just go out and find it and, you know, continue generational chains. So, so, um, so the two houses and the lack of conflict is, is better for the kids than a high conflict marriage. Yeah, that's really helpful because I know sometimes it can be hard to know, right? Like you think, oh, am I going to hurt them this way? Or, you know, is it better to stay this way? And so that's really helpful perspective. Yeah, so many people don't want to leave um, because they don't want to hurt the kids. And and yet you can you can look it up. Research shows that it's it's conflict much more than divorce that harms children. Okay, great. That's really helpful to know. Um, I guess before we wrap up, are there any other additional tools or advice related to either relationships or divorce that you would want to mention or highlight for listeners? Yeah, I'll just, I guess I'll leave with, um, with a general tip that I think could help anyone who's struggling with, uh, with conflict or any kind of relationship. And, and that's that every time you get upset, Every time you get triggered, rather than looking out at the other person or the circumstance, if you would trust that looking in and saying, what is my trigger? Um, What's the story I have about what just happened or what was just said? What else could it be? And, And give yourself the time and space to assess what's going on with you and the time to just calm before you react, you'll end up responding and you'll be able to, um, you'll be able to mend that relationship. You'll be able to feel better about yourself and you'll be learning about yourself. You'll be doing these baby steps of personal work. So every upset is a setup. It sets you up for personal work. And if you can always look within rather than out. And that doesn't mean the person you're dealing with didn't do something quote unquote wrong. It's just, Mm -hmm. you don't have agency there. You have agency inside with you. And so when you make that your focus, all of a sudden triggers and upsets become gifts of growth. And, and that's really um, my message. Mm -hmm. I like that. And I find like when I do get in that situation, I go to a journal. Do you find that's helpful? Are there other tools that people can use to work through it? Journaling is fabulous. So anytime you're triggered, being able to process. So, you know, women tend to talk to each other more than guys, but regardless of your gender, if you have a trustworthy person who's not bringing their own baggage to the table that you can process with anything that happens. Uh, Journaling is a great way to process as well. And it gives you a chance to think things through, talk things through and actually release some of that emotional energy. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and that's always valuable. And just, you know, sometimes even with coaching, I'll have clients, they hear themselves answering the question and they'll be like, 
well, that's not true. Like even as they're saying it. So literally just processing, you'll write it down and go, well, I don't actually believe that, you know, so it's very, very valuable to process through writing or speaking. Okay. That's really helpful. So I know there are many more ways to contact you. I'm sure listeners are going to want to find out more. What are the best ways to connect with you? Yeah, thanks for asking. So because we're podcasters, I'll say my podcast, Journey Beyond Divorce, um, we've been around since 2016, and there's just a ton of great content on there. And then journeybeyonddivorce.com is our website, all of our online programs and blogs and podcasts are there as well. So whatever works for you, Journey Beyond Divorce, all social media as well. Okay, that sounds great. All right, Karen. Well, thank you so much for coming back for another episode and for having this chat today. I really appreciate it. Sarah, thanks so much for having me. It was a great conversation. I appreciate you. Thank you so much to Karen McMahon for her time. It actually took us two times of meeting to actually get that recorded. So thank you to her for um, continuing on. We got, I think, a great conversation going. If you want to hear more from Karen, as I mentioned, check out episode 105 of the Learning to Slay the Beast podcast to get more basics on divorce. And then also, Karen has her own podcast, Journey Beyond Divorce. Also, you can check out journeybeyonddivorce.com and look for her on social media as well. This is such a big topic, and I'm really glad to have been able to spend a second episode talking about divorce. It's something that I went through as a later teen. It has such an impact on how you view relationships and on your life. And I know that there's a lot there to learn and dig into, and I'm really glad that Karen is doing that on her podcast and that she was able to share with us again this week. I hope that everyone is enjoying the spring and I look forward to connecting with you next week. Thank you for listening to the Learning to Slay the Beast podcast. Please keep in mind, this podcast is not intended to be medical or professional advice. If you'd like to hear more from me, you can follow me on social media, Instagram and TikTok at Sarah Lady Gluten or Facebook, Sarah underscore Gluten Free Lady. You can also visit my website, which includes author information, speaking information, and more info on the podcast at www.se-german.com. If you like the podcast, please feel free to review the podcast on your favorite platform and also subscribe because it means that it will show up for you every week on your favorite podcast platform. Also, we've just started to have the ability to support the podcast. You can find this link in my Instagram bio or visit Kofi, ko-fi.com slash learning to slay the beasts. Thanks again for listening and have a great week.